0: Welcome to the official podcast of vertical life church we are a non-denominational church located in clio michigan we exist to engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of jesus christ we hope you are drawn into a deeper relationship with god through this podcast and pray that through the sermons you've listened to here your faith would grow we are always excited to hear from those who are impacted by this ministry And we encourage you to email us at contact at vlchurch.tv to share how God is using this ministry in your life. If you would like to support this ministry, you can do so online at www.vlchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you for listening. Anybody hungry yet? Yeah, amen, amen, and amen. That's Christians know how we like to eat, you know, but brace yourselves because I feel like what God has for you today is going to be much better than what you can get at McDonald's drive-thru, okay? All right, amen. Right? You see... We started this series last week, Eat the Meat. The Word of God says that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, our faith in our relationship with God should continually grow. And so we need to stop just being satisfied with what is called the milk of the Word, which is just basic you know, levels of Christianity and Christian thought and belief. And we need to go deeper into our relationship with God to move from milk to the solid meat of the Word, to the deep things of God. And last week we saw as we were in our study, that God has much more in store for our lives, but many of us won't accept that or receive it because we're not growing. We're not taking a step in our faith. We're not moving forward. And so through this series, as we're gonna unpack some, some of the fundamental subjects in the scripture and through some of you know, the foundational doctrines and, and some of the things we need to know and believe, we're gonna ask the Lord to take us deeper to move us from where we are to where he wants us to be, to take us deeper, to open our eyes, to give us more understanding and reveal the deep and mysterious things of God. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, Daniel writes, he says, "'He reveals deep and mysterious things "'and knows what lies hidden in darkness, "'though he is surrounded by light.'" So as we read here from Daniel, the question is not, does God want to take me deeper? He says he reveals it. God reveals the deep and mysterious things. The question isn't, does God want to take me deeper? The question is, do I want to go deeper? Do I want to really know God? There was a song that was popular when I was in high school and youth group. It was called In the Secret. And the the chorus of that song says, God, I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. Is that where you are today? Do you want more of God in your life? To begin to explore the deep things of God, we're going to take a look at foundations today. That's the title of the message is Foundations. And in order to go deeper, one must confront a few simple and yet some complex questions in their life. And it begins with the very same question Pilate, the governor of Rome, just before Jesus goes to the cross, the very same question he asks the Lord as Jesus was awaiting uh, his execution orders. And in John chapter 18, verse 37 and 38, this is what the word of the Lord records. It says, Pilate said, "So you're a king." And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king, actually. I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Verse 38, what is truth, Pilate asks. Then he went out again to the people and told them he is not guilty of any crime. Pilate is having this conversation with Jesus. Jesus is on trial, and Pilate's trying to figure out, is this guy worthy to be condemned? And Jesus is is telling him, look, I didn't come to set up a physical kingdom. I came to set up a spiritual kingdom. And those that hear me, who listen to me, know that what I say is the truth. And then Pilate turns to Jesus and asks, number one, what is truth? This is the fundamental question each of us have to wrestle with. If we're going to begin to even scratch the surface of who God is, we need to ask this truth What, or ask this question, what is truth? Now online, on the dictionary, truth is defined as the quality or, or state of being true, or that which is true in accordance with fact and reality. Not just what you can know is true, but what you can also experience. Truth, as we understand it, has to be verified through fact or reality, something that can be proven, something unquestionable. A synonym for the word truth is also the word certitude. I didn't know this word, and so when I heard saw it, I looked it up, and I thought, that's a pretty cool word. So what, what's certitude? Certitude is defined as absolute certainty or conviction that something is the case. That is certitude. Certitude is an undeniable fact, one that you can rely on to never let you down. And as Jesus is here before Pilate, he says those who love the truth, those who want certitude, will recognize that what I say is true. In other words, Pilate, if you disagree with me, if you're in conflict to my teachings, you do not and cannot know the truth. You will not have certitude. In John 8, 31-32, the word of the Lord says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, he says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, we like that part that says we're going to be set free. Oftentimes in church meetings, when we quote this verse, everyone just kind of comes along with it and shouts, you will be set free, and we get an amen. That's your cue. Amen, right? You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We will only know the truth, however, if we pay attention to what Jesus says before that. He says if we remain faithful to the Lord's teachings, this is the scripture, this is the Bible, if we know and do the word, we're faithful, it's not just enough to know what the Bible says, you must be faithful to it, aligning yourselves with it. As we remain faithful, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, right? There's two parts to truth. There's the fact, and then there's the experience to truth. And Jesus is saying, if you don't just know it, but you follow it, you are going to have the fact and the experience. You are going to know it, and it's going to revolutionize your life. And the question is, what is truth going to set you free from? Set you free from what? And I believe the truth is going to set you free from Pilate's condition, an inability to know the truth. the truth of what? The truth of who and what is God. In John chapter 14, verse 10 says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This is Jesus speaking. He's, he's speaking to his followers. He says, the words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does the work through me. You see, the teachings of Christ, the things he taught, the things he spoke into the world, they did not originate with Jesus. They, they weren't things that he came up with on his own, but it was what his heavenly Father, the creator of all the world, the Lord of heaven's armies, it's what he communicated to Christ to then communicate to us. And Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 4, he said, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So as we look at these two verses about the remaining in Christ and and the Father being in Christ, if the Father, God, is in Christ, then that means I can know God personally. I can have a relationship with him. Because if I can be in Christ, and Christ is in me, and then God is in Christ, that means God is in me. This is why Jesus said, those who love the truth will recognize what I say is true, because they will know God. And because they know God, they will know Jesus is from God, and taught the things of God, because he himself is God. The foundation of life hinges on the fundamental question, what is? Is true. But the problem with this question is that if your foundation is not centered on Jesus or the teachings of Jesus, unless God intervenes in your life, like he did with Paul the Apostle on the road to Damascus, he was in the process of persecuting and killing Christians, and Jesus just shows up and bam, he becomes the greatest missionary of all time in a second. Unless God intervenes in your life, like Paul, If you don't know the truth, you will never know the truth. You will never know Jesus and the teachings of Christ if you are not uh, following and pursuing the teachings of Jesus because you will never live in such a way where you can both understand and experience the truth. You must remain in the truth, and the truth will set you free, and that's centered on Christ. If your belief system, if your idea of truth is not centered on Jesus, what you'll have is a false truth, or a partial truth. It'll be a relative truth, like what we see in the world, where everything is equal and there's no real sense of right and wrong, or up or down or left or right. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, the Bible says this. It says, "It's impossible to please God without faith." anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. The first foundation for truth begins with believing God exists. Without that foundation, the truth will be hidden from you because it will not lead you to Christ. You'll operate on a false sense of security in the world. Truth begins with God, is revealed by God, and only those who listen and believe will have the truth revealed to them. So what is truth? What is the truth to you today? Is it the teachings of Jesus or is it something else? Because that alone will determine whether you can move from milk to meat in your relationship and understanding of God. First question is, what is truth? The second foundational question today is then, what is God? What is God? You see, there are many worldviews in the world today that explain or attempt to explain who God is. You have the naturalists who believes in no deity at all. There's no God. There's just only the physical world, what you can see, taste, touch, smell, and experience with your own life, what can be discovered in a science lab. This is the naturalist. Only what can be empirically verified that that that's all that there is. And under this belief system, you typically have atheists and agnostics who are just like, no, no deity. There's no such thing. I'm the God of my own life. Then you have the pantheist who believes all is God, this is the Star Wars uh, kind of frame of mind where, where you believe that there's a universal force that guides and connects everything together, that physical self is an illusion, and one day everything will return from whence it came. Everything uh, will return to God because everything is a part of God, that, that everything is elevated to the supreme, and, and because everything is a part of God, therefore even I am supreme, making me God. And then you have the theist worldview, who believes in a supreme deity who's responsible for all of creation. And many religions fall under this category. There are really three groups of, uh, of people that fall under the theist category. There are the monotheists who believe in one God, the polytheists who believe in many gods, and the deist who believes we don't know and we'll never know. There are many roads in this life that are tempting to arrive at the truth But if you look at the world logically with a logical mind, you will understand that every worldview fundamentally disagrees with one another. Therefore, every worldview cannot be true. So if what Jesus said was true, that you cannot know the truth if you do not believe God exists, and you can't know the truth if you don't remain faithful to his teachings, because you won't be in him and he won't be in you, then it stands to reason that these other worldviews that exist... They exist because they don't believe in God or Christ. They haven't started with that very foundational principle that God exists and He is the source of all truth, and that they're still attempting to answer these fundamental questions. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and the gate is wide for the many who choose that way. Many or attempting to find the true path or the path to truth. But only the path that goes through Jesus Christ will lead you to that truth. For he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. John chapter 14. So think about today what you fundamentally believe. Maybe you're here today, and you enjoy going to church. You maybe have gone to church for a long time, but when you have deep conversations with people, maybe your coworkers or your friends or your family, you admit that you really actually believe more in science than you do religion. You're kind of like one of Jesus' disciples we call Doubting Thomas. After he died and rose from the dead, he didn't believe that Jesus actually came back, and so he said, until I see him and touch him with my own hands, I'm not going to believe. And maybe that's the kind of faith you have today. Until you see it with your own eyes, you're really not going to go all in with Jesus. Or maybe you believe every religion is the same, that we're all interconnected, and if we just be good enough, we'll all end up to the same place. You don't believe that a loving God could send people to hell. And then what about those other people in other lands who've never heard about Jesus? You have these questions that make you think, well, there can't just be one way, and so you love Jesus, but you don't fully believe in the teachings of Jesus. See, if your beliefs don't agree with the Lord, you'll never be able to fully know or come to know the truth of God. To grow in your faith, you'll remain a spiritual child, or worse yet, you won't even have saving faith altogether because it is the truth that sets you free. A faith that rescues you off the wide road that leads you down the narrow road to salvation begins with God exists and that you remain faithful to the teachings of Jesus for he is the way to God. Dr. Ravi Zacharias, a Christian apologist and thinker, he's one of my favorite guys to listen to because he makes me feel incredibly stupid, but it uh, makes me like, aspire to, to learn. Uh, he said in an article uh, entitled think again. He says, the question really is, how do we really know that this is the truth? Referring to the Christian message. He said, whether Hitler or Hugh Hefner, religious or irreligious, everyone has a worldview. A worldview basically offers answers to four necessary questions. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. In turn, these answers must be correspondingly true on particular questions, and as a whole, all answers put together must be coherent. Taking it a step further, the three tests for truth must be applied to any worldview—logical consistency, empirical adequacy, and experiential relevance. When submitted to these tests, the Christian message is utterly unique and meets the demand for truth. Ravi Zacharias didn't begin a Christian, he began as a Muslim in the in the nation of India, and through his story, through atheism and everything else, he became a Christian, and here he is saying that when Christianity is submitted to the three tests for truth, it is bar none unique among all the other world religions. When looking at the four fundamental questions he points out of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, and measuring these up to the teachings of Christ against logical consistency, does Jesus contradict himself to empirical adequacy? Is there physical evidence? Is there evidence that what Jesus is saying is true and experiential relevance? What we find is that, one, Jesus never contradicts himself. The message is consistent from Genesis to Revelation. Two, there's empirical, or, or there's empirical adequacy. There is more evidence through the manuscripts and the findings of secular and non-secular writings in history to prove the existence of Christ and the validity of the claims of the Bible than many most or many notoriety characters of history. We have more documents that show evidence to claim the scriptures than we do many of the historical figures we do in all of world history. There's a wealth of empirical adequacy. And then there's experiential relevance. What happens to the experience of those who embrace Jesus? What we find is that those who embrace Jesus, those who are open to the truth of who God is, what he's done... And through faith, we see them transformed into powerful agents of his grace. We see life's lives transformed. There's a great transformation that happens in those who say to God, I believe, I trust, I receive, and I surrender. You see, Christianity is not a system of conformance, but a relationship with the divine that opens the eyes of the blind to see the reality behind the reality. A reality that science cannot measure and time will never outlast. You see, there's more to this physical world. There's a spiritual world, a spiritual world that influences and affects everything that we see. And you're never going to come to this understanding fully until first you believe in God. And second, you fear that God. You fear the Lord. Psalm 110 or 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commands will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. Proverbs 1 7 says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 9 10 says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Are you catching the theme? The theme, this hidden truth to the world, is that the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, is the catalyst for knowing and understanding the truth. Why? Because a holy, awe-filled reverence and respect for who God is is what helps a person understand the whys of this world. Why am I here? It's because God created you to be in relationship with you. Why is there suffering in the world? Well, it's because we rebelled against that God and entered sin into history. Why did Jesus have to die? It's because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. A deep, awe-reverent understanding of God leads you to the answers of these fundamental questions. Without the fear of the Lord and a proper perspective of who he is, one cannot fully perceive the depth of our depravity, of our sinfulness, and the power and magnitude of his love. I heard a pastor once say that a poor understanding of God will lead to a poor understanding of sin. A poor understanding of sin will lead to a poor understanding of forgiveness. And a poor understanding of forgiveness means you will never understand what Jesus did for you on the cross. If you do not fear the Lord, you will not understand the story, the message, or the relationship. To understand the truth, to go deeper in your relationship with God, it begins with believing he exists. It begins with fearing the Lord. And to have a proper fear of God, to understand why we should fear the Lord, we need to ask a simple question, and that is number three, who is God? What is truth? What is God? And now, who is God? There are many names for God in the scripture. Matter of fact, right now, you're probably thinking of some of God's names. We have the provider. We have the God of peace. We have Savior, Redeemer, Healer, and Friend. When we look at these names, we understand, yes, that is God. He is the King of kings, and he brings all of these good things. He is is a good God, a good Father, and he brings all of these good things into my life but yet there is a depth of God that is often missed or rather overlooked. When we only focus on the nice and the rosy of God and we don't stop to recognize this holy, this righteous, this loving, this good peace-bringing God is also a God of wrath and judgment, we miss something very significant. In Exodus chapter 19, as the nation of Israel has just crossed the Red Sea and are now wandering the wilderness as he's getting ready to set up his relationship with the people of Israel. God tells Moses, I'm gonna visit the people on Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 19, God says, I'm gonna reveal the glory of my presence. I'm gonna reveal myself to the nation, prepare the people, consecrate the people. But don't let them come up on the mountain, because when I show up, if they cross the boundary, they're gonna die. They're not gonna be able to survive. And in this moment where they come and they're ready to experience God and see God for the very first time, God begins to descend on the mountain. And in this, this picture in Exodus 19, the mountain becomes covered in a black cloud. There's billowing and smoke and fire that rising up into the sky. There's thunder and lightning. There's a mighty hurricane, forest winds, a massive earthquake just shaking the mountain. And as I read this description of the presence of God and God's glory revealed, I think of the devastating power of Hurricane Harvey and Irma that just rocked uh, the southern part of the United States and and those islands and nearby countries. I think about the earthquake that recently hit Mexico. And I believe the, the death tolls up to nearly 300. And just a few days ago, the rescue effort was still underway. Yet, just thinking of one portion, the hurricane, or even adding in that hurricane or that earthquake, that is only a portion of the description that we see that's happening at once on Mount Sinai when the glory of God shows up. Imagine standing there with the nation of Israel and seeing such a terrible sight. Imagine that the magnitude of who God is. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, it says, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, when they saw the flashes of lightning and smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. You see, God didn't have to tell them not to go up to the mountain. There was no way they were going up to the mountain. Yeah, right. I'm not going up there. You've been on Facebook and seen those videos of people trying to escape forest fires and and natural disasters. There's nothing but fear and trembling in in a person's mind and heart in that moment. There's no way people were going to go up into that. They were probably wanting to run for their lives. I cannot imagine the terror or fright standing in the presence of God. And throughout the Old Testament, we we see that that God's presence does mighty things. Matter of fact, there's the the Ark of the Covenant. It's the the golden box that sat inside the temple where God's presence would literally come down and sit and rest upon this box. And it was said that his presence was even contained inside the box. And whenever the, the, the nation of Israel would take the Ark of the Covenant out into battle with them, it guaranteed their victory because the presence of the Lord was there. And there's a time where the nation of Israel fell into sin, and the Ark of the Covenant was captured by a neighboring nation. And there were 70 of these enemies of Israel who thought, hey, we're going to look inside the box and see what makes this so powerful. And they opened the box, and all 70 people died in an instant. And in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20, the response of the enemies of God was this. Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? The fearsome might and power of God's glory is enough to terrify, if not destroy, mere men. When you witness the glory and power of God, you cannot be helped to be filled with fear because you see how great, how awesome, how terrifying he is, and how sinful, how weak, and how unworthy you are. Isaiah 33, verse 14, says, The sinners in Jerusalem shake with fear. Terror seizes the godless. Who can live with this devouring fire? They cry, who can survive this all-consuming fire? Our God is an all-consuming fire. Do you know this today, church? That our God in his might, his power, and his glory is an all-consuming fire. He is fierce. He is mighty. He is awesome, and he answers to no one. Not even the greatest nation on the earth with all their firepower can stand against God. Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 10 says, But the Lord is the only one true God. He is the living God, the everlasting King. The whole earth trembles at His anger. The nations cannot stand up to His wrath. No matter how strong our weapons are, the collective force of every nation on the earth is nothing compared to the one who spoke the elements into existence. Nothing. Can stand against the power of God, and when He unleashes his wrath, there will be no place anyone can hide. Deuteronomy 32:39, God says, "Look now, I myself am He. There is no other God but me. I am the one who kills and gives life. I' am the one who wounds and heals. No one can be rescued from my powerful hand. Why should we fear the Lord? It's because He is worthy to be feared. Jesus in Matthew ten twenty eight says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, God's power goes beyond the physical realm. It gave birth to even the spiritual realm. God is Lord over heaven and hell. He holds the keys to all existence. God's holiness and his justice makes him intolerable to sin, and he is poised and ready to cast all rebellious and sinful people into judgment. Revelation 14, 9 through 11, talking about the last days when God finally says, enough is enough. I'm going to purge this world of sin once and for all. He begins to cast the rebellious into hell. Verse nine, it says, the third angel followed them, shouting, anyone who worships the beast and his statue, who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand, must drink the wine of God's anger. It's been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. They will have no relief day or night, for they have worshiped the beast and his statue and accepted the mark of his name if not a little spanking of God wrought the devastation of nations, what might the full strength of his wrath bring upon the damned? Those who reject God, that live in active rebellion, who follow their spiritual father, the devil, will find themselves facing the same fate as Satan himself, enduring the eternal wrath of God poured out in full strength forever and forever and forever, and their suffering will find no end. Do you fear the Lord? See, the power of God revealed in Exodus 19 when he descended on the mountain, that will be unleashed full strength on the sons of disobedience. And when looking at how powerful, how holy, how awesome is this King of glory, the Lord Almighty, the Lord mighty in battle, who are we then to question God? Who are we then to think our ways are higher or better or we know somehow or, or, how, or found some position to judge or criticize the actions and motives of God? Who are we to then doubt his word? But we do it. When we forget how great and mighty he is, we will forget what a privilege it is to be loved by God. For the one who is great and greatly to be praised, the one whom we should fear with trembling, is the same one who says, fear not, nor be afraid, for I am with you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. The same God who's terrible and mighty, who brings down the nations, through Christ has loved us with a ferocious love equal to that of his ferocious wrath. What does that do to someone's faith when they recognize that God, the one true God, the Holy One of Israel, the Creator, the Lord of everything, the Righteous and Holy One, what does it do to a person's faith when you realize that God is for you? Where's your faith today? Does it reflect the truth that God, that God, is for you? See, if I had the God of Exodus 19 at my back, there wouldn't be anything I'd be afraid of. But yet there's fear that stops us in many ways. The beginning of wisdom, the beginning of truth, the beginning of understanding begins with the fear of the Lord. Do you know him? Really, do you know him? Because if you knew him, you would fear him. We talked about what is truth, what is God, who is God, and now lastly, my question for you is, who is God to you? Who is God to you? Maybe you're the naturalist, you're the doubting Thomas, you're in search of the truth, but you continually find dead ends and end roads because of the ever-changing opinions of this culture science is your God, but yet you continue to be unfulfilled, because once they come up with the be-all, end-all, five years later, they decide that was wrong, and they go another direction. The first step for you is to believe, believe that God exists, and begin searching for Him the way you've been searching for meaning in this world with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Today, God needs to shift from being a mythological character in your life to being your heavenly father. For that is where the true quest for truth begins. Maybe you're the pantheist and... Historically, you don't like to put labels on things and beliefs. You believe all roads just lead to the same place, and you call yourself a Christian just because that's what kind of church you go to, but you don't put a whole lot of stock in that. Today, if you want to know the truth and go deeper in your understanding, you need to commit and come into agreement that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus needs to become your God, your only God today. And until you are faithful to his teachings, you will not know the truth. But if you come in line with his teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will open your eyes and set you free. Maybe you're the theist. You believe in God. You trust in Jesus, but yet non-existent in your faith journey is the fear of the Lord. You've kind of acquired this irreverent faith built on God's grace, but not on the fear of God. You've not really felt that need to repent or change because you feel God just accepts you the way you are. When the reality is that God is not tolerant of sin and without repentance, without turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus, you cannot have the assurance of salvation. Today, you need to begin with the reality of who God is. Let that sink deep down into your heart to build a healthy fear, a fear that moves you to walk in repentance and truly appreciate what he did for you on the cross. And then after you bow to God in fear and trembling, in repentance of your sin, you can then rise in great faith knowing that the mighty one of Israel is for you. And whoever is for you, if God is for you, nothing can be against you. Maybe that's you today. You have historically had an insecurity in your faith because you haven't feared the Lord. Think about the great men and women of faith in the days of old. Think about Elijah. How could Elijah call down fire from heaven? How could Moses stand there with the staff raised and see the seas part? I tell you how they knew God was for them. And today you can ask God, God, reveal yourself to me. Give me a healthy fear to fuel my faith so that I can know without a doubt that my God is with me and for me and nothing can be against me. I want to close today with this final word from Peter in Second Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 says, this is the letter from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and as Jesus our Lord. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, the more you grow like this, the more productive you'll be in your knowledge of the Lord. Do you want to know the truth? Do you want to go deeper? Do you want your faith to grow and your understanding to grow? Do you want to move from milk to meat? Then it begins with what is truth? What is God? Who is God? And who is God to you? And when these things are in alignment with the truth of the word of God, Peter says, then at that point, make every effort. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. And God promised in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently and sincerely seek him. That's where we begin. To move from milk to meat, we need to sincerely and diligently seek after the Lord. Are you seeking Him today? Are you seeking Him? Or will you begin seeking Him today? Let's bow our heads in this place as we go into a time of response. Maybe you're here today. you're like, you know, Pastor Joey, I've been, I've been on that side that just had to, I had to see and taste and touch before I could believe. I just, I have the hardest time getting over that hurdle, but I feel in my spirit right now, I feel the truth echoing in my soul that God exists and Jesus is the way. Maybe you're the pantheist that says, you know, all roads have led to heaven You just got to be a good person, and, and then everything will wash out when you get to the other side. But today in your heart, you know in your heart that there is a God to be feared, but yet there's a pathway to be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If that's you here today in the quietness of this moment, you can take that step to begin the true search for truth, the true path that leads to eternal life, to That answers the questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, the things you've been searching for your whole life, you can begin that leap right now by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Right here where you are, you can begin by praying maybe the first prayer of your whole life. And I invite you right here where you are to pray this with me, just in your seat right where you are. Just say, God... I've been searching in all the wrong places. But today, I begin searching for you. I'm going to choose to believe you exist and believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. Forgive me of all my wrongs and come live in me. Save me. And change me. I surrender to your will and I choose today to follow you in the name of Jesus. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. I just believe in my heart in this place that not only are there those that are seeking God and need to take that step of faith to trust in Jesus Christ, there are those in this room who are on the fence with their faith. I mean, God is just laying on my heart right now. There are people in this room right now that says, you know what, I'm too scared of what the world thinks of me to step out and be bold in my faith for Jesus Christ. I'm too scared of what my coworkers might say to tell them about Jesus and to share about the death and resurrection. You know what, I'm, I'm so worn out and tired, and I've, I haven't experienced that experience part of truth enough in my life, I'm almost ready just to walk away from church altogether. I get the word says it's true, but I've yet to experience that. And I'm on the fence. And I believe the spirit of God is just telling me deep in my heart right now, you need to begin to seek the Lord. You need to allow the fear of God to rise up in your heart and recognize who is for you. You're spiritually dry because you're seeking all the wrong places. You're reading the self-help books. You're numbing your mind with TV and entertainment. You're drinking yourself into a stupor. You're eating yourself into an early grave. But you're not seeking the Lord. And God wants to transform your life and your faith. God wants to come alive. He wants to fill you so powerfully with the Holy Spirit. You begin to hear His voice. You begin to see Him move. He begins to use you to be a miracle maker in somebody's life, to give you the evidence of what the truth declares in the Word of God. God has more for you, but it begins with seeking the Lord. It begins with a fear of saying, God, I'm sorry I've been trying to be God of my own life. Today, I'm laying that down, and I'm going to seek you. There is no one higher than our God. There is no one greater than you. There's nothing in my life or my circumstance that engulfs the magnitude and power of what you can do in my life. I trust you today with all that I am. I'm going to determine today in my life to begin seeking you. I'm going to get on my hands and knees every day. And when the world tries to pull me another direction, I'm going to say no. I'm going to go spend time with my Father. And I'm going to continue to seek you until I see miracles happen in my life that's you here today. But when we stand, you leave your seat and you come down and lay yourself down at the feet of Jesus. You lay yourself down and say, God, I'm tired of running everywhere else. Today, I'm going to seek you. I'm tired of having a weak, anemic faith that produces no evidence and experience in my life. Today, I'm going to seek you. God, I'm tired of being on the fence and feeling ready to give up at any moments. Today, I'm going to seek you. Father, I just pray for the church today. I pray for Vertical Life Church. I pray against every spiritual opposition that can come against us now. God, I plead the blood of Christ in this place. God, that there be no doubt that your voice is loud and strong. That breathe. no doubt that you are mighty and moving. God, there's no doubt that you are for us. God, I pray now in the name of Jesus the church would rise and respond and begin to seek you. God, you promised in your word if we turn from our sinful ways and seek your face that you're going to come and heal our land. And there's people here today that need healing in their bodies, that need healing in their relationships, that need healing in their homes. We need healing in our town, our city, our state, our country. God, healing is needed everywhere around, and that begins by seeking the Lord. God, we stand and we pursue your promises now as a church in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Now's the time to respond. You respond to what God is laying on your heart.